so this morning we're beginning a uh, new sermon series called Judges, and we're actually going to be walking through for the next four weeks uh, and kind of just highlighting some of the characters in the book of Judges. And so uh, if today you have a smartphone, uh, if you have an iPhone, a Blackberry, an Android, one of those things, uh, you can follow along on Uversion. If you go to your live events on the Uversion app, uh, you can follow along today uh, through uh, the passages that we'll be talking about as well as notes. Uh, and there's all kinds of fun stuff on there. There's questions, I would assume. I don't know anything about it, but I'm, I'm assuming there are. Uh, and, and then if you don't, and if you want a Bible, we have Bibles. So if you want a Bible, uh, Jacob's going to be walking around, and so is Kelsey. And they have a Bible if you want to follow along in, in paperback. Uh, if you just raise your hand, they'll make sure you get one. Uh, but today we're going to start in the book of Judges. And we're going to actually start in the third chapter. So we're going to kind of skip ahead and look at, at some different characters today uh, from the book of Judges. The kind of the reason why we decided to do a series in the book of Judges is uh, Aaron and I were sitting in a coffee shop and we were talking about all these different sermon ideas that we had. And, and I said, wouldn't it be fun to do a sermon series where we talk about all the bad things people in the Bible do? Uh, and he was like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So that's what we're doing. So uh, we're going to look through the book of Judges because the book of Judges is filled with some people who make some big mistakes and some people who uh, are these kind of ordinary characters who you don't think really should be uh, considered a hero. Uh, and I, when I think of heroes, I, I don't know about you, I, think of, I tend to think of like movies or I think of literature. And uh, uh, heroes have kind of been around since like really the beginning of storytelling. As far back as, as ancient Greece, we know that there's these heroes, these mythical heroes who some of them uh, had super superpowers, you know, like some of them were given to them by the gods and others uh, just were these humans that seemed to have like this extra amount of courage that nobody else had. And so uh, heroes are kind of this essential thing to culture and to storytelling. Every story has some sort of hero or anti-hero and, and every culture has these heroes that are built around. I mean, think about American culture. American culture wouldn't be the same without Batman, right? Like, I mean... I literally, in the past week, have stopped what I'm doing at work to see the latest pictures from the newest Batman movie. You know, like, and I didn't even read the comic books when I was little. Like, I just love seeing Batman and Catwoman. Like, and especially when Catwoman crashes into an IMAX camera. If you haven't seen that yet, it's worthwhile. Uh, but, but we're kind of obsessed with superhero culture and, and kind of these these heroes that we have before us. I mean... The Batman movies, like, there's people who waited in lines for hours to see Star Wars. I mean, all these hero movies uh, have big cult followings. And, and I think the reason is, is that heroes speak essentially to something about who we are. Heroes either kind of speak to the thing we wish we were, or they kind of speak to the thing that we really recognize in ourselves but are, are failing to do. And that's kind of the interesting things about stories. Stories have this great ability to pull us in and go, Look at yourself. You're a lot more like this person than you care to admit. And the Bible does that in, in several ways. I mean, there's heroes throughout Scripture, but, but some of the f- most famous heroes are guys like David, you know, like a 15-year-old who kills a giant, like, eight foot tall. And, and we all heard the story of David and Goliath. And, and we hear these stories, and we're like, that's cool. But then we hear stories about, like, this guy named Benaniah who, who climbed in a pit with a lion and killed it with his bare hands. It's in the Bible, don't worry. You know, like, and you're like, I want to kill a lion with my bare hands, you know, and, 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 and we, we see these things throughout scripture and they speak to something bigger than just like some guy killed some guy and it was really cool, you know, and so today we're going to explore the story that's kind of bigger 
than, than the story itself. And it speaks to something essential about who we are as humans and what it means to, to live for God and what it looks like in our lives. And so, uh, but first, before we do that, we have to kind of understand a few things. First, we have to understand what heroes do for us. Heroes kind of essentially do four things. When you look throughout literature, when you look throughout storytelling, what we'll find is that heroes do four things. First, they, they make us feel a sense of likeness. When you watch a hero, you go, oh, they're, they're kind of like me. I think about Batman. You know, like Batman struggles with human issues. And Superman, even though he's not human, struggles with human issues. Spider-Man, human issues. They, they're like us. Somehow, they're like us. They also stand their ground. They have this great sense of courage. Like in the midst of big diverse, uh, adversity, they're able to be like, I- I'm going to stand my ground and do the right thing. Uh, they never lose their ability to, to surprise us. I mean, think how many times that Superman or Batman or Spider-Man should have lost, but somehow they always win. You know, like they have this ability to surprise us in the midst of ad- adversity to come out on top. And the fourth thing is this. They always act as the good guys. Heroes are never the bad guys. Heroes are always the ones who do the right thing. Somehow in the mix of humanity and courage, they're able to figure out the right thing to do. That brings us kind of to our story. Our story is about this guy named Ehud. He's probably, you've all probably heard of him. Uh, Ehud uh, is this judge in, 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 uh, of Israel, and, and we'll kind of go into some of that. But first we have to discover that what we really find in the story of Ehud is that Ehud is a lot like us. Ehud is a lot like us. He is a hero who's, who's overwhelmed with fear, who's, who's really concerned that he's probably not good enough or probably not qualified enough to do the things that God has created him to do. So heroes are like us. So we find this story in, in the book of Judges, chapter 3, starting at verse 11, and we'll read through verse 30, and it goes like this. The land was quiet for 40 years. Then Anathalo, son of Kenaz, died. But the people of Israel went back to doing evil in the sight of God. So God made King Eglon of Moab a power against Israel because they did evil in God's sight. Okay, let's stop there. So what's happening in this story is this. So Israel, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, finally enters the promised land. And this promised land has everything they could have ever dreamed of. And in fact, there's only a few commands that God gives them. These are the things that you have to do in order to make sure that you keep the promised land uh, as I wanted it. And immediately they start having issues. They don't kick out all the people that they're supposed to. Things aren't going the way that they planned. They start worshiping other gods. And what happens is after a short while, God's like, fine, you can have your own way. If you want your own way, you can have it. And so God gives them over to these other powers. And so kings from other nations, mainly like five nations that surround them, start to invade them periodically. So throughout the book of Judges, you'll find that there's kind of these periods where they get invaded by an enemy and they're like, oh crap, God save us. And then for a certain amount of period of time, they'll they'll do the right thing. They'll come back to God and do all the right things again. And then uh, one generation will die and the next generation comes and forgets what God had done for them, forgets all the things that had happened. And so that's what's happened in this story. This, this one judge, Anathelo, came and rescued the people of Israel. And then after 40 years, after 40 years of being rescued and doing things, things the right way, Judges gives us a hint at what's happening. They, they stop doing the right thing. They start doing what's evil in God's sight. And so then it says, He recruited the Ammonites and Amalekites and went out and struck Israel. He took the city of Palms, 
The people of Israel were in servitude to Eglon for 14 years. The people of Israel cried out to God, and God raised up for them a savior, Ehud, son of Gera, a, ben- a Benjaminite. He was left-handed. Okay, we're going to stop there. He was left-handed. Okay. And uh, the people of Israel sent tribute uh, by him to Eglon, king of Moab. Ehud made, him, made himself a short two-edged sword and strapped it, it, strapped it on his right thigh under his clothes. He presented the tribute to Eglon, uh, king of Moab. Eglon was grossly fat. Okay. Uh, after Ehud finished presenting the tribute, he went a little way with the men who had carried it. And when he had gotten as far as the stone images near Gilgal, he went back and said, I have a private message for you, O king. The king told his servants, leave. And they all left. Ehud approached him, and the king was now quite alone in his cool rooftop room. That's a bathroom, just so you know. And, uh, and he said, I have a word, of God, a word of God for you. Eglon stood up from his throne. Ehud reached with his left hand and took his sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's big belly. Not only the blade, but the hilt went in. The flat fat closed around it, over it, so he couldn't pull it out. Okay. Uh, Ehud slipped out by the way of the porch and shut and locked the door of the rooftop room behind him. Then he was gone. When the servants came, they saw with surprise that the doors to the rooftop room were locked. They said, he's probably relieving himself in the restroom. All right. They waited, and then they worried. No one was coming out of those locked doors. Finally, they got a key and unlocked them. There was their master, fallen on the floor, dead. While they were standing around wondering what to do, Ehud was long gone. He had passed the stone images and escaped to Saharai. When he got there, he sounded the trumpet on Mount Ephraim. The people of Israel came down from the hills and joined him. He took his place at their head. He said, follow me, for God has given your enemies, yes, Moab, to you. They went down after him and secured the fords of of the Jordan against the Moabites. That... They let no one cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10, 10 companies of Moabites. All of them were well-fed and robust. No one, not one escaped. That day, Moab was subdued under the hand of Israel. The land was quiet for 80 years. It's an interesting story, I think, uh, mostly because it's like the per- per- perfect story to tell middle schoolers because uh, it involves a lot of things that middle school boys love. One, it involves a really fat king with a knife. It also involves something that this translation doesn't tell you. If you have like the NIV or something like that, it will tell you that when uh, Ehud stabbed him, uh, the king let go all of his entrails. Uh, so it's a perfect story for the Bible to be able to read to a junior high who's like, the Bible doesn't really have any good stories. Read Ehud. Read Ehud, because it, it will change everything. And, and, and I think the story is interesting for a lot of reasons. One, it, it causes me to ask a few questions. Why Ehud? Like, why out of everyone in Israel does Ehud get chosen to be a judge? And, and, and it causes me to ask that same question about me. Why, if Ehud, this guy with the left hand, gets chosen to go and rescue the people of Israel, then, then what about me? Where do I find myself in this story? What does this story have to do with me? Well, the first thing I think it has to do with us is the fact that Ehud was left-handed. It may not seem like a big deal, but whenever the Bible includes little details like that, it's, it's on purpose. They're telling us Ehud's left-handed for a reason. Uh, when you read that, usually it means one of two things. Either Ehud was just born left-handed like a lot of you, or Ehud was born with a disabled right hand. 
which meant a few things in his day. Not only was his hand disabled, so he couldn't use his right hand, but also every single tool, every instrument, every, every weapon was made for somebody who was right-handed. It wasn't something that you made lots of left-handed instruments or, or tools for. So there's this guy who's born without a working right hand. So immediately we're faced with this question. Either Ehud's handicapped, and the Bible's pointed it out to us for a reason, or he's just some left-handed guy. And I've got to believe that, that when scholars look at this and, and they write that maybe Ehud was this, this handicapped guy who didn't have use of his right hand, there's a reason that we start to get a picture of this story. And it points us out something about Ehud. The Ehud who probably grew up without the use of his right hand was probably made fun of, was probably teased, didn't fit in with the rest of society. He was immediately an outcast because everybody else used their right hand. So there's this left-handed guy, and out of all of Israel, out of lots of right-handed people, this left-handed dude gets chose to to rescue Israel from their enemies. After 40 years of people, 40 years of right-handed guys, this left-handed guy gets chosen. And I think it's interesting because uh, Ehud, who who could have had every reason to be like, well, I I can never do these things because I'm left-handed. I can never do these things because I'm handicapped. All of a sudden is able to do something that no other right-handed person has done. Most of us use our issues, our handicaps, our sins, whatever they are, the things in our lives that we fear the most, we use them as handicaps to keep us from living the kind of life that we're supposed to. And see, Ehud understood something kind of essential to what it takes to be a hero, is that no matter what the handicap is, and no matter what the issue, no matter if you're left-handed or right-handed, no matter how big it is, there's this thing that God has created you to do. And you only discover your fullest potential, who God created you to be, when you learn to get past the handicapped. When you learn to get past uh, what's wrong with you. And see, I think what I love about most, uh, about this story and what I love most about God is that we find that God is always choosing the people who surprise us. He's always choosing the person who doesn't seem to fit the bill very well. He's choosing the guy who nobody else would choose He loves to use us no matter what we think our handicap is. In fact, his handicap is the very thing that we'll find out is the thing that God uses to save the nation of Israel. And so uh, I think what most of us do is we let the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear uh, of not being good enough hold us back from living the life that we're supposed to. We think we're not qualified enough. But what we find in the story of Ehud is, is it wasn't that he was the strongest. It wasn't that he was the fastest. It was that he was willing. He was available. God's never looking for the person who's like, well, I've got my life perfectly together. Everything's ready in my life for you to work. God's always looking for the person who just says, well, I'm available. I'll do it. I, my, I may not have use of my right hand, but I'm available. Ehud, without his left hand, with, without use of his right hand, becomes this hero. And here's the thing, you're not the only one with fears. You're not the only one that has fears of what people will think about you or how you'll look or, or, or being rejected. You're not the only one. In fact, uh, every psychi- psychiatric book will tell you that there's probably about 2,000 or so fears that are documented. But they'll also tell you that only two of them are you born with. You're only born with two fears. Uh, you're born with a fear of falling uh, and you're bo- born with a fear of loud noises. Scary things, I know, scary things right? You're born with these two fears. They're just innate to, to when the moment we're born, we have these fears. But there's these other like 
1,900 fears that we, we, are, we learn at some point in our life. We learn these fears, which tells us one thing. Most of our fears are learned. The second thing it tells us that every fear can be unlearned. Every fear that we have, the fear of what people think about us, the fear of, of not being good enough or not earning our, our way, or, or whatever it is, whatever fear we have, all these fears can be unlearned. They can be unlearned. So I guess the question then is, what are you holding back? What are you holding back? See, if, if Ehud, without his, the use of his right hand, can be a hero, this guy that's imperfect can save a nation, what's holding you back? What fear, what, what insecurity in your life is keeping you from living to your fullest potential, to doing what God has created you to do? Because Ehud realized this, that no matter if he had use of his left hand or not, or his right hand or not, what we find is that uh, Ehud's handicap wasn't his only obstacle. Ehud, after he uh, is, is called to be this judge and, and he makes his way to, to King Eglon, he, he finds that there's these bodyguards. And so Ehud does an interesting thing. Instead of strapping his knife to uh, the side that everybody else, everybody who's right-handed would strap it to uh, their right side. And instead of, like everybody else, uh, putting his, his knife where, where everybody would look, he straps it to the one place no one will look. Because everybody will look at the right-handed guy, the big soldier who, who regularly carries in weapons. They'll get searched. But this handicapped guy who doesn't look like he'll do anything walks in unattended by any soldiers or bodyguards see Ehud understood this that no matter what the obstacle is no matter how ginormous it seems or or unsurmountable it is we discover this thing about Ehud and about the call that God has on all of our lives is that obstacles really are nothing the obstacles are this thing that we have to get past but they're not this thing that defines us what we discover is that uh, for Ehud, uh, they probably didn't even pat him down because he's this unassuming guy, this guy that doesn't look like he'll amount to much, walks in unattended to meet with the king who's, who's been oppressing them for 14 years. Ehud doesn't let his disability or what's wrong with him keep him from doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't let a little thing like bodyguards or disabilities hold him back from the life he's created to do. See, I think that we all fall guilty to this idea, that it's easy to find so much what's wrong with us, our sin, our issues, our disabilities. We look at ourselves and we can easily point those things out. But what Ehud teaches us is that it's, it's not our responsibility to look deep within inside of ourselves and go, I'm such a screw-up. But what Ehud constantly did and what we find throughout Scripture, what people who defined heroes throughout Scripture did is they were always able to see what was right with God more than what was wrong with themselves. This is an important like, life issue that we, most of us deal with. It's easy to see all the things that are wrong with me. I can look at myself in the mirror and go, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not the right person for the job. But when we start to look... W- at what's right with God, we always discover that God is seeing something bigger in us than we could ever see. He calls us to more than we could ever see in ourselves. So when you define yourself by what you think about yourself, you miss out on being the person God created you to be. When you're always looking in the mirror saying, I, I, I'm disabled, I, I, don't, I don't have this, I'm not good enough, I'm, I, I, I mess up too much, what we fail to see is what God sees in you. We fail to see past our issues and past our disabilities because we're so focused on ourselves. But God's looking at you, calling you to be something bigger, 
something more. Two Cornell social psychologists did uh, about a five-year study uh, on the way people have regrets. And and as they did the study, uh, what was surprising to them is is that as they were studying this, the thing that people uh, regret most and, and things that they don't regret are all separated by time. All separated by time. What they found is that uh, we don't necessarily, uh, we, we regret our action in the short term. So uh, if, if we choose to do something but fail at it, we regret that for a little bit. But the thing that we regret over the long haul of our lives is our inaction, our inability to move, to do the things that we were created to do. See, Ehud could have said no. He could have not been the hero. But we find at the end of the story, at 80 years 80 years of freedom because Ehud chose to do the right thing. 80 years because he chose to act despite all the things he probably saw in himself that were failures. When we look at our lives, what we'll find when we look back over the span of our lives is either we regret the things that we did or the things that we never did. And every person you talk to and every person I've ever talked to in a hospital bed, the thing that they'll tell me is that, the, the things that they regret are the things that they didn't do, the time that they didn't spend with their family, the way that they didn't love. They don't, they don't really tell you about, ah, oh, I wish I would have gone on another trip or I would, have done, I would have done this other thing. What you find is they're always regretting the things that matter most because they didn't spend their time doing those things. We regret our inaction. What would happen in your life? What would happen in your life if you refused to let obstacles or what you think about yourself or your fears, what if you refused to let those things hold you back from being who, you, who God created you to be? What would happen? I mean, what would happen in the city of Lincoln if all of us decided, well, I'm no longer going to be defined by my insecurities and my past. I'm no longer going to be defined by my issues and, and my handicaps and my disabilities. What would happen in the lives of our families and our city as people would finally be able to be like, I'm going to live as I was created to live. I'm not going to hold back these things anymore. What would happen in our city? So what obstacles are there? What things are there? Uh, when I look back at my life, kind of over like the, my years in high school when I was really stupid and made lots of stupid choices, every once in a while people will ask me, so do like, have any regrets about all the things that you did? And, and, and the, the thing I always find is that it wasn't regrets that I have about like the things that I did so much. It's all the things I missed out on. All the stuff that I missed out on because I spent so much time high and drunk that I, I like missed out on friendships. I missed out on people. And, and so like when I look at high school, like, like most people are like, yeah, those people were my best friends. And I'm like, uh, I hung out with people, I think. You know, like, I think there's people there. And, 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 and you miss out on these things that matter. And so we have these regrets. And you can either let your regrets define who you are for the rest of your life, and you can let your insecurities about those regrets define who you are, or you can be like Ehud and be like, these obstacles, these things in my life are going to mean nothing because I'm going to choose to believe what God says about me. I'm going to choose to believe who God calls me to be. So, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What things do you see in the mirror when you look? What are those things that you think define you? What sin issues, the things in your past, what obstacles are there that you think define you? Because I believe God calls you to something bigger than those obstacles. I think, I think when God looks at you, he sees who you've been created to be. All throughout scripture, we hear God calling you to something bigger 
than struggling with your past and struggling with sin. He calls you to something bigger than that. The invitation to follow Christ isn't this invitation to wallow in our sin or our regrets or our failures. It's this invitation to life bigger than you can imagine. And so we discover in Ehud this invitation to believe that there's something bigger. So Ehud heads back to King Eglon's palace all alone. He gets to this image at Gilgal, and he's like, hey, guys, you stay here, all you strong people, and I'm going to go back to King Eglon by myself. And he arrives by himself. He kills King Eglon by himself, and he runs back to where everybody's hiding, probably in caves, you know, hiding out because for 14 years, King Eglon has been just oppressing them and putting them down and taxing them and taking things from them. And he, he runs back and he sounds the trumpet and he, he alerts the nation of Israel and says, guys, we're winning. We're, we're gonna, today we're going to take back the nation of Israel. After, after Ehud does this, 80 years of peace. The land is quiet for 80 years. Ehud's willingness to do the right thing, to do what nobody else was willing to do, to do what nobody else could do, Ehud's willingness to do the right thing is, is kind of the definition of a leader. Because really, a leader should be, should, should be spelled courage, if it could be spelled any way. A leader is the person who's willing, no matter what circumstances are, no matter what uh, difficulties are there, courage is doing the right thing regardless of our circumstances or regardless of the consequences. Ehud understood that, that in order to act, it didn't matter if anybody else was coming along. There's a story uh, a, a little later in, in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel about this guy named Jonathan who's the, king of, of, uh, the son of King Saul and the best friend of King David. This random story about King Jonathan, and Jonathan's at this, this large pit that separates him and the enemy army. And Jonathan looks at, at his armor bearer, the guy who carries all of his weapons around, and says, Hey, what do you think about us climbing down this, this one side of the pit, and then we'll climb up the other one, and then we'll see if we can beat the whole army ourselves. And his armor bearer's like, Sure, I'm with you in whatever you want to do. You know, and, and they climb down this one side of this cliff and up the other side, and they start to walk towards this enemy army. And everybody on the other side, everybody on, the, on Israel's side is just like, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, like, there's two guys versus what the Bible kind of describes as uh, an army as big as the sand on the seashore, so, you, so big you couldn't see. And, and they head over, and they start fighting them, two guys. And what it does is, and what it teaches us lesson after lesson is this. That when one person acts, God starts to move in other people's hearts and in other people's lives. See, it always takes one small act of courage to define and change the world. One small act of courage. One person willing to say, uh, I don't care what, what happens. I don't care what the circumstances or what the consequences are. I'm going to do the right thing. And what happens is, is it inspires other people to do it, to do the same thing, to stand up. And to do the right thing. That's why these superhero stories that we love so much are stories that we love. Because they call us to do the right thing regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences. And we find that in the story of Ehud. That it didn't matter if death was waiting for him at the king's palace. It didn't matter if nobody else would stand up and do the right thing. Because Ehud was going to do the right thing. Ehud chose to believe that it didn't matter who else was with him. He was all in. 
Our lives will always be defined by our willingness to stand up and do the right thing. Your life won't be defined necessarily by your failures or the things that you think are wrong with you. Your life will always be defined by your willingness to stand up, to take risks, to do the thing that God has created you to do. It will always be defined by your willingness to act. And so, are you ready to act? I mean, are you ready to stand up and to do the right thing? Are you ready to risk it all on whatever it is that God is creating you and calling you to do? I I can't define that for you because each of us has a specific call, specific thing God is asking us to do. And so we're invited into this. We're invited into this story. Uh, As I was kind of preparing for this message, I I looked back over one of my college literature books. It's fun, right? And so I I was reading through it, and I was kind of thinking about heroes, and I came across, across this quote that describes kind of so eloquently what stories invite us to do. It says this, The hero is first and foremost a symbolic representation of the person who is experiencing the story while reading, listening, or watching. The almost universal notion of a hero and its resulting hero identification allows us to experience stories in the only way we know how, as ourselves. In other words, what it says is when you read the stories of a hero, what it's inviting you to do is be the hero yourself. When you read the story of Ehud, the invitation isn't, wow, that's really cool that that guy stabbed that fat king. The invitation is this, you can be like Ehud. You can live a life like Ehud, that no matter what your disabilities are, no matter how wrong or how bad you think you are, no matter what your insecurities or issues are, the invitation is this, you're already a hero. You're already a hero. You just have to embrace it. You have to discover that God has already called you to change the world, already created you to do whatever it is he specifically created you to do. So now do it. Stop waiting for somebody else to tell you to do it. Stop waiting for someone else to lead because God's already called you to do that. I guess maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe a hero isn't some perfectly dressed caped crusader jumping over buildings, stopping bullets. Some hero in a bat suit or some guy dressed up like a spider. Maybe, maybe a hero is the person who's willing to stand up when things are wrong and do the right thing. Maybe a hero is the person who's willing to look at their own lives and look past their issues and the things that are wrong with them to embrace what's right with God. Maybe, maybe a hero is the person who's willing to do the right thing even when fears and handicaps and issues scream so loud in their face, they choose to do the right thing. So, what fat king in your life needs killed? What issue, what fear in your life seems so big that it's holding you back from being the person God created you to be? You know, uh, when I think about fear, I, I usually think about one of two things, and it's usually related to one of these things, kind of the root issue of fear is usually one of two things. It's either you're insecure about something in your life or there's some issue of pride in your life. Fear can kind of, the root of fear is usually one of those things. Either we're too insecure to trust God about something in our lives or too prideful to trust God about something in our lives. They're usually closely connected to our pride and closely connected to our fears. So what issues of fear, what insecurities rack your life so much that you fail to be who God created you to be? Because there's something in all of us. If God really calls all of us to be these heroes, to be these people who change the world, then as we look at ourselves, 
honestly, we start to discover what God sees about us. When we start to stare at ourselves and find all of our faults, we have to discover God speaks something even bigger, something even louder about who we are. So, are you ready? What dream needs chased? What, what thing needs to be created? What job needs to be found? What lifestyle needs to be changed so that you can begin to be the person who God created you to be? Because the story of Ehud invites us to not merely sit aside, hold our heads down, and believe that how we're living now is all that we're created for. Because there's something bigger. There's this invitation to a life that most of us have never lived because we're too busy sitting on the sidelines, seeing everything that's wrong with ourselves. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that when you look at us, you see who you've created us to be. You see hope for us. You see your love for us. You see the things that you've created us to be. You see the things you've called us to do. God, so many times our issues, the things that we think we're not good enough at or or we're not right for this or whatever it is, the fears and insecurities and the pride that holds us back, the things that are there, so many times those distract us from being the people that you've created us to be. And it's so easy sometimes to to focus on all that's wrong with us that we forget about everything that's so right about you. We focus on the things that we've screwed up. And, and so we ask you today to begin something in our hearts and in our lives and in, our, in this city that as we begin to realize who you've created us to be and what you've called us to do, that first you would give us courage. You give us the strength to choose to do the right thing. That you would remind us of what you've created us to be. So God, today I pray that even as we sing songs and as we think and look forward to the rest of this day, that today you would speak to us louder than we've ever heard, that you would speak loudly about the things that you've created us to do, but that you would also speak loudly about who you've created us to be. You would speak loudly to us so that we would hear what you've called us to do And that as we hear, you give us the strength to chase after the dreams, to chase after the things that you created us to create or or to make or to do in this city and in our lives. God, I thank you that your love is bigger than all of our issues. That your strength is bigger than everything that's wrong with us. And so, we give you our issues. We give you our faults and our failures. And we invite you to take over. To be the one who calls us to a life we've yet experienced. In Jesus' name, amen.